My name's Nigel, uh, Nigel Hemming. I've got with me Toby and Carol and Jim and Rachel. Um, these guys are here, all of them, because um, in their church, they did a pastoral succession. It went really well. Um, I think it went really well. Yeah, yeah, it went. Really, they're all, they're all, <laughs> they're all, they're all still talking to each other. So that's it went good. well for us. Um, yeah. um, and we, the perp, the main purpose of this afternoon is just to learn some lessons from that, to have a conversation about that. Um, you're not going to hear from me very much. I will just fire a few questions here and there. You may have questions that you want to pipe up, and there's plenty. Of, there will be time to do that as well. We'd love to. We, there are so many aspects to this succession thing that you know we could go in a number of different ways, and we'll just see where that takes us. Um, I just have a few things I want to say as an introduction to that, but why don't we pray first? Is that okay? Can I pray for us? So, Father, thank you for your presence with us. We've already had an amazing day, um, and here we are to have a conversation about succession, and I'm so grateful for these guys giving up their time uh, to come and share with us. And so, Lord, we want to hear from them uh, their story we want to learn from that and we want to hear your wisdom for us uh, wherever we are whatever situation we are in with our own churches and so lord we're just grateful we welcome your presence we thank you for your spirit um, and we say come and be in the room with us and inspire our conversations and lead and guide us in this moment in jesus name amen Okay, so um, there's a quote in that book that you have, um, and I've given you the book. You can take that away. Um, there's a quote in the front. I heard um, Pete Gregg say this. You know who Pete Gregg is? Um, I was at uh, Causeway Coast Vineyard up in the North, Northern Ireland, and I was at a conference, and it was the year after they had had a pastoral succession. So um, the previous pastors, Alan and Catherine Scott, had um, handed the church over, uh, Neil and Janet had taken it on. It was going really well. And um, Pete got up and he just said this phrase that I really thought was wonderful. There's no success until you've had a successful succession. I thought it was such a great quote. And then I wrote to him to say, hey, Pete, you don't know me, but please can we use your quote? And by the way, is it yours? Or have you nicked it from somewhere else? And he wrote back and said, yes, you can use it. So because we got permission, we put it on a whole page. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and, and kind of that's part of the deal. The reason that we've got involved, the reason that I'm involved in, um, in this conversation uh, and some of these processes around succession are because it's really important. Um, leadership is something that outlasts more than one pastoral career. You know, if God's got a plan for your church, he's got a plan for your church after you've finished leading it. Um, we don't retire from kingdom ministry ever, but as pastors, we do probably need to slow down uh, at some point uh, and move on and let someone else take on the church that we're in. And so when it comes to succession, um, the, the, we've got one key message. The one key message is long-term planning, long-term planning. And by long-term, I mean three to five years, right? Some people are really thinking like that and other people aren't. Um, actually, if we're doing a good job as pastors, then multiplication and leading, recruiting and training leaders is all part of what we do anyway. It should be a key part of what we do at all levels. It should be part of our DNA. Um, regardless, we might be a small church, we might be a bigger church, doesn't matter. If we're doing that, then anyway, then succession will be much easier to manage. The problem is when we're not doing that and then when we run out of steam ourselves, and that's where we see some of the more tricky conversations. Um, 
in the vineyard now, we have amassed quite a large amount of wisdom and experience about how to do successions well and also how not to do successions well or how to do them less well. well yeah, I don't know how you say that. Um, we have a team of people we're putting together. Part of my job is to put together a team of people to support those going through the succession process. So we've started recently a, a group for um, new senior pastors and we're just meeting with one another and supporting one of them people who've taken the job on quite recently within the last 12 months it's a little bit tricky with covid but within the last six six 12 months um we're about to start a group for um i was going to call it retiring senior pastors but i think a better name for the group is probably um a succession planning a six planning succession planning support group or something anyway we're going to do that um we're going to and toby's going to be part of helping that as well um because we just think that we've got some shared experience and shared wisdom um so the booklet's there i don't want to go in any more into that booklet it's got quite a lot of information and it's got quite a lot of process information about it um so far nobody's argued with me about the process we didn't really know what our process was and so i was given the task of coming up with what that was and writing it down um uh and so we've attempted that's our first draft of what we think a process is um <coughs> If you have any questions about any of that stuff, come chat to me afterwards or um, email the Multiply team or get in touch and we'd love to talk about that stuff. But we're not going to jump into the process now. That's all in the book. What we want to do now is I want to hear from um, these guys and we want to hear about a really successful succession. Um, and so um, Toby and Carol were the outgoing pastors. I'm going to start with them and I'm just going to ask them a few questions. We're going to get into a bit of a chat and then... Um, if you have questions, you'll be able to jump in with those as well. Is that right? So over to you. Toby and Carol, you um, tell us a little bit about your story first, how it is that you came to be in St. Andrew's planting a church in the first place, and um, just a little bit about how that all, how that all came about. Um, <clears throat> I'd say, uh, describe it in three Ps. Uh, pastoring, our senior pastors uh, encouraged us down the route. Prophecy, we went to the church planting taste today and Andrew McNeil stood up and read my mail in front of everybody's uh, you know and uh, so I rushed to the front before he could tell everyone my secret sins as you do and um, and that changed our minds we went on the the taste today with no intention of ever planting a church and I'd never wanted to be a senior pastor um, but all that changed in that one prophetic session. And the third P was, um, what do I call them? Preposterous coincidences. Just one thing after another after another just said St. Andrews, which is not a place that we would have naturally, <coughs> that I would have naturally chosen. Because I always remember Wimber saying, Jesus didn't die for fresh air, go where the people are. And St. Andrews is a little out of the way place, but... Let me tell you about St. Andrews. <laughs> it is indeed a little out-of-the-way uh, grey Scottish town, which punches well above its weight for three reasons. One is uh, that it is in the most beautiful possible setting. Uh, it is absolutely gorgeous with some astonishing beaches. Unfortunately, it's in Scotland, so, uh, you know, cold. it's cold. Um, you can have some glorious days. And actually, our first summer there, our then 13-year-old daughter because it was breezy and colder than she was used to, got her back so badly blistered down on the beach that she couldn't lie down. Anyway, so there's that, the beauty of the place. Um, 
the second thing is that uh, it is home to the oldest university in Scotland. So um, although in and of itself it's a town of 10,000 people, when the students are there, it goes up to almost double that these days. Um, and so there are a lot of young people up there. It's a very exciting place to be. And the third, as you may know, is that it is the home of golf. <laughs> so, you know, there are an awful lot of people passing to and fro. And so as a town, although it, it really consists of four main streets, yeah. um, at a push, uh, three and a half, um, you know, it really is a place that was worth considering for all sorts of reasons. And the preposterous uh, coincidences, as Toby said, were um, that we got so many words about it. Um, and on top of all of that, um, I was at school there for five years in the 70s, um, which uh, was, um, I mean, I, I resolved never to go back ever again, as you do when you're 17. You think, <laughs> bye. And, um, but God had other ideas. And so in, although uh, I hadn't intended to go back, it was very clear that the Lord was drawing us back. And um, yeah, so that's Brilliant. it. Brilliant. And just, so just before I pass on to you guys, just give us a rough time scale of, of when you've planted and then where, you know, how long you were leading for before you started to think about succession yeah um we were on the staff at the riverside vineyard for four years and then in 2004 we planted kingdom vineyard and 14 years later is that right 2008 18 is, yeah. is that what it is for 2004 to 2018 yeah well we handed over to to these guys okay brilliant thank you and we'll talk about that a little bit more but before we do that jim and rachel tell us a bit of your story and how you came to be involved One each. One Great. each. We'll, we'll fight. <laughs> you first. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, Rachel and I were both students in St. Andrews. Um, I went up there to study 2005 and spent uh, a little while. I know at some universities they do a kind of a church search where you, you look around and try and find a church really quickly. And I decided never to judge a church on its worst Sunday. So instead of doing like a quick tour and, and then by week three or four get locked in. I gave each church about six weeks, um, which was a terrible idea. It was awful. Never advise anyone to do that because I didn't find a church I liked until halfway through my second year. Um, but I found it and got stuck in, oh, I really like this church. This feels like home. And so whilst I was... <laughs> yeah, don't, don't do that. Um, but I, I found a church that I loved in Kingdom Vineyard, named after the Kingdom of Fife, um, in case you're wondering. Also, there's a Kingdom of God pun in there if you're smart. Um, and uh, just absolutely loved it. So as a student um, and kind of having a, having a good time studying, getting involved in student societies, just generally loving being in a beautiful part of the world with three freezing beaches, I found a place that felt like home and got as stuck in as I could. And... Um, and these guys gave me opportunities. One of the cultures that I, one of the values and the culture of the church that I really loved and grasped was these guys will develop young leaders and take a chance on even students who come in with a swagger and think they know all the answers and let them lead a home group and let them preach and give opportunities to say, no, come on, we'll, we'll mentor you through some things. And I thought, yeah, this is brilliant. This is for me. So that meant that by the time that I finished my studies, um, end of fourth year, uh, I moved away from St. Andrews and went to try and get a job in the real world. And 
pined for the church that had felt so much like home and looked for a church that would feel as much like home afterwards. So does that cover the introduction? Yeah, it's brilliant. Great, thank you. Um, so I didn't rock up at um, Kingdom Vineyard until my very final semester of university. I was going to a different church, which I absolutely loved, but for various reasons, they were undergoing transition actually, and lots of things were up in the air. I'd just come back from a year in Spain, and I thought, I just need to get settled in somewhere where someone's doing their thing and I can just go and be part of the thing that's already happening. So I turned up in, I think, what must have been like a quarter of the way into my very final year of university, walked in and like there was the welcome, the service leader started, the worship started, and I was like, how did I not know that this was here? This place is tiny, this feels so like home. And um, I really thought I was the first person to say that. But um, I then met a whole load of other vineyard people who have this similar thing of walking through the door and just really feeling like home. So just got really settled really quickly, um, joined a home group that was just the absolute highlight of my week. But yeah, in terms of like my actual involvement in the church that I now lead, it was probably about four months total, I think. Shocking. Yeah, so and you're still at her back and everything. I'm a bit of an imposter, but um, no, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> and where did you end up, what, just briefly, where did you go after that and how did you two end up together? Um, <laughs> briefly. Briefly. Um, Jim and I met as undergraduate students in St Andrews and then the, the year that I graduated, uh, we got married, we moved down to Stoke-on-Trent. Um, I work in languages, so I was getting a master's in translation. Um, Jim was um, kind of feeling this increased call to actually doing something about pastoral ministry, and a job came up. As yeah, <laughs> without telling you the whole long story, I, ha I so I met Jesus at age 18. Until then, I was a militant atheist and was trying to save absolutely anyone I could from this bonkers religion business and trying to prize people out of the church to, to set them free. What a great, noble thing. And then met Jesus and had a, a profound him speaking to me experience and thought, oh, Shoot, uh, that went badly. So from age 18, I had completely U-turned. I had a career making loads of money and making myself famous mapped out that I had to junk. Um, reapplied for university to change course. Um, but And from that moment, kind of had a sense of, does, is leadership in here? I don't really know. I don't want it to be. I mean, leadership looks really hard. Um, it kind of looks fun sometimes, but they don't seem to pay you very well in the church, so I don't want to do that. And they work really hard and it looks painful. So that was kind of my approach to it. And leaving, I, whilst at uni, I went for philosophy and then discovered theology. Oh, this is great. It's like philosophy about Jesus. But discovered in my final year that I'd got locked into a degree that was going to make me no money whatsoever. This was a terrible plan. So I'd had a love-hate relationship with the idea of church leadership during and since. And so went and got a job in Christian media where I could write stuff for Jesus and not actually have to look after anyone. And that's how Rachel and I found ourselves in Stoke. Yeah. <laughs> then a job came up for Jim as an associate pastor. And so what I thought was going to be me championing him in his call, I was like, yes, you go. You will be amazing at that. I will sit quietly in the corner and have a lovely time cheering you on. Has actually fairly drastically, as you can probably tell by the fact that I'm sitting here, turned into something that's now our awesome. joint Team call. Effort. Brilliant. We'll come back to that. 
That's wonderful. Thank you. It just helps us to get a bit of a picture of you guys. And so you were leading this church, um, you, which you'd planted and you'd grown. And um, and these guys were some of those students that you referenced earlier who were in and leading. Must have been quite hard, by the way, to keep watching people leave, I would imagine. Yes, we talk, called it the annual bereavement. Oh, uh, and yeah. it actually, uh, contrary to what you might expect for me at least it got harder every year yeah. not not easier and you see all these people and you as, as we got better at training them we were losing better and better people every time they right. left Amazing. and it was just hurt more and more and more i think it's one of the things that did us in in the end right so tell us about um, the next stage of the the process um you know obviously you decided you you got to the point where you think you're thinking well we can't go on forever Tell us some of your thinking. Yeah, about, I mean, yeah. I think <coughs> we always had, or uh, I always had this sort of approach, which I would often say that any job in this church is is up for grabs. If you can prove it, you can do better than the person who's doing it. Um, and that includes my job, for sure. Uh, so come on, bring it on. Show us what you got. And, um, and, and nobody did. Uh, which is a little bit upsetting. But we did realise that at some point we were going to have to hand it on. We had people coming through who were so excellent, so gifted, so talented, that we just thought, well, is it, is it this guy? Is it this woman? Is it, it, who is it? And we were looking, looking, looking all the time, um, really for the last 10 years that we were doing it. We were looking to see who could take this on. Because... Yeah, and then um, all this time, all this time after Jim and Rachel graduated and left us, um, we kept bumping into them at students' weddings, and every time we did, they said, "If you ever have a job going on your staff, perhaps you could think of us." And <laughs> in the end, the penny dropped, <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, my job's going. <laughs> Why don't I think it's of not them?" <laughs> okay, and tell us about that. Yeah, well, um, the like I said before, I, I hadn't ever fancied myself as a as a pastor really, and it was um, to go back to what Rachel had said before about us. Um, I was working Christian media, publishing, getting to write stuff and not actually having to lead anyone. It was brilliant. And eventually, though we'd never found a church that felt like home where we were in Stoke, we'd been to a few, we'd, we'd got stuck in and faithfully served at the one that felt most right, but but we we didn't feel truly at home in any of them. And then a job came up in the church we were in as an associate pastor in Stoke. In Stoke. Um, it's not a vineyard. Um, it's a, a lovely enough church, but we pined for one that felt more like the values that we'd come to value. And uh, and eventually, I think people had started saying things that seemed like the Lord. There was a, a guy who was a gardener in the publishing media group we worked in who one day just decided to start calling me Reverend. Um, and so he'd wander past and water the plants and say, you're right, Reverend. I don't know why you think it's funny. I've got no idea what you're talking about, mate. And there were just little tweaks like that that just felt like the Lord going, it's time. I would, you know, open the Bible and say, Lord, you want to speak to me? And it said, uh, you shall plant vineyards. And, uh, I rang Toby, said, what does this mean? And he laughed at me. Um, <laughs> and so I was like, well, there's this nagging sense that the Lord might be building us up to something, but I don't really like it. One day, Rachel came through to me and said, the church we're at is advertising a post as an associate pastor. 
uh, I think you should take a look at it. Oh, I, I don't want to do this. Do you want me to do this? Well, no, not really. Um, <laughs> but I think the Lord might. Okay. So uh, reluctantly and eventually, I started working in a different church as an associate pastor, just kind of feeling it out and made it clear to them on the way in, look, I don't really know what I'm doing here, but it might be Jesus. And so we were there for 18 months or so, um, just kind of... Yeah, serving faithfully, ringing Toby and Carol to find out how to lead a church, um, <laughs> and doing what felt like Jesus. How long have you been on your other job before? How long have you left those guys? So we, uh, Rachel left uh, St Andrews in 2012. I graduated in 2009, and so I started in this new church, uh, the church in Stoke in 2015. So I'd been away for six years at that point, and. Um, was in that church 2015. I got a phone call from Toby summer 2016. Uh, oh, Toby, how lovely to hear from you. How are you guys doing? You having a great time? I'm just leading a, a retreat for all the young people in the church that I'm serving. I said, I'll oh, step outside for a minute, Jim. Um, said, you know, we've been thinking of retiring and we've got a plan to retire. Brilliant. Ah, oh, that's wonderful. You've been looking to offload that church for ages. Wonderful. Who are you going to give it to? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, that was the, a phone call to invite us to pray about, was it us? Um, I would, there would have been no chance that I would have considered whether we, and at that time, Rachel was keeping a low, I'll allow you to tell your own story, but Rachel was keeping a low profile, didn't want to go anywhere near a microphone, so we kind of thought it would be me with a smiling plus one at the time. <laughs> with a reluctant plus one so at the time. A smile through green tea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the idea that that um, I would be in ministry at all, I was only just reluctantly getting used to the idea that we might become senior pastors was definitely not not for us. And the phone call to pray about it did take us completely by surprise. Um, yeah, so we started praying. That was summer 2016. And uh, between summer 2016 and November 2016, we were asking a load of folk to pray about, do you want to talk about this this bit? Go on. Sure. Um, yeah, so Toby rang and we thought, wow, that's a thing. What Had no idea what to do with it. So basically we told both sets of parents um, and two of our best friends um, about this possibility. And then to everyone else, we just said, we've got a potentially quite big life decision coming up could could you just pray for us and um if you hear anything that you think might be god could you let us know and i guess we'll we'll work out one way or another we'll see what we hear and we'll see what direction that points us in now we were actually not surrounded at that time by people who were used to praying in a way of hearing things from God for people. And yet, when we asked them to, all of these people just came out of the woodwork, from people that we knew really well to people that we barely knew, just saying things like, I feel like God might be saying, go north. I feel like God might be saying, home. Where's home? Where feels like home? Go home. And given that, you know, I had this whole thing of walking into the vineyard and thinking that I was the first person ever to say that it felt like home, that was like a really significant, like, oh, that's a thing that really means something for us. And it's where we met. It's like the home of like our relationship, um, and yeah. So it just it it became very clear actually quite quickly. We kept um, notes of prophetic words. We were really careful to make sure we wrote everything that we heard down, and just when we would. Um, kind of stop and evaluate and think, where are we at with this? Do we think that, is there a direction that's emerging in this? We would read through all of these words, pictures, and notes, and it 
very clearly pointed to us moving to St Andrews um, and taking over from Toby and Carol. We ended up with twelve pages of text message length notes. Yeah, we yeah we we still have we still have the note. We keep it, and you know, on uh, weeks that are less easy than other weeks, um, <laughs> that whole stream of notes are um, some of the main things that keep us going and keep us enthusiastic. So when did you move? We moved in um, the summer of 2017. So a year after he called you? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Yeah. And when you moved... Sorry, can you leave the mic? Oh yeah, I probably should do this. And when you moved, what did, did you know that you were moving to take the church over? Was that a definite given? What was what? Where was the... What was the sort of process in terms of what that was looking like? So step by step, um, phone call in summer 2016, a lot of praying through. We Part of the story um, of, of us really needing to discern that was because we felt like the last we'd heard from the Lord was to get stuck in in that church in Stoke. And so we were, wanted to be really careful that if we took our hands off that, it was following Jesus and not going for what felt like an easy, that was the church we used to love. We said we'd go forward to St. Andrews, not back to it. Um, and wanted to just be faithful to God and not, Lord, are you saying we can release this? So that was a painful and difficult are you sure, Lord? As Rachel said, lots of lovely confirmation. Jesus was kind. August 2016, the phone call. November 2016, we came up and met the trustees who um, lovingly grilled us and asked us a load of, of fun and tough questions. And um, again, mostly me. At that stage, we all still thought that it was going to be me doing the heavy lifting and Rachel was going to sort of reluctantly smile alongside. Um, and it was kind of it was after that that we discovered actually Jesus had a different plan for Rachel, which is great. And uh, so I met the trustee. We met the trustees in 2016. They grilled um, us and mostly me. And uh, August 2016, a call. November 2016, that grill interview. A few more prayerful discernment, and then messages back and forth. And we arranged springtime 2017. We we had, we told our churches and friends and family, the other church. Um, we're off and you guys announced to, to Kingdom Vineyard, actually there's, there's a couple of Egypts coming up to be our associates for a while. When we arrived summer 2017, I think everyone knew the plan that we were coming up as associate understudies with a view to a transition. Did you add anything so, there? Or? Toby, just tell us a bit about that presentation. Yeah, yeah. it was a sort of, uh, it was cunningly leaked uh, secret that they were coming with a view to actually take over. Um, we didn't make any official statement to that effect until we were really sure that, oh, we were pretty sure it was God, but until we were sure these guys were up to it and that the church was up for having them lead. And that became apparent very quickly. And, um, and, what, and what did you do to, to facilitate that process of getting to, like, a sort of, cause, you know, them you thinking that they would be up to it and the church you thinking that the church would accept these guys yeah well they, you, they, you see they, brought them on staff as associates that's right. not as you didn't announce publicly these are the next leaders so tell us what you did then yeah but uh, there were people who'd been with us from the start and i personally would have felt dishonest not telling them the reason why jim and rachel were there and so as i say it was selectively leaked information uh, that they were actually coming to, to take over from us. But I think 
the church had generally kind of got the idea that this... I mean, honestly, look at it. Before, after. Before, after. Uh, I mean, uh, it tells its own story, really, doesn't it? And, um, and so we, we planned with the trustees, and there's a very important point that the trustees uh, put extra resource in so that we could each take a salary out of the church pot. Um, and we decided that we were going to have a tapered handover so that I would do less, uh, drop a day a week, and Jim would pick up a day a week, and, and he would gradually do more and I'd gradually do less. And so when the actual handover happened, people would hardly notice. That's pretty much what happened. And so you arrived in the summer of 2017, and when was the official handover? Like, the, the, did you have an... Uh, June 2018? July? February 2018. Okay, um, so after about seven or eight months. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We. I mean, we we thought it would be longer. Right. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we we we'd sort of Just, we'd planned for about a year. It was the same with me, year, by the way. We'd, <laughs> it was we'd, the same in we'd, the same. we'd planned for about a year. Um, probably we could have planned for six weeks. It would have been fine. <laughs> yeah, the uh, thing I noticed, uh, Jesse's sitting there. Jesse is our, our administrator as well as our worship pastor. And I, I found towards the end of my time leading that Jesse would have an idea in the staff meeting in the morning. I'd go home and get some soup and sandwich or something and uh, start thinking about it in the afternoon and say, oh, no, not yet. Something, sometime about three months later, I might have come up with a plan. Uh, when Jim joined the staff, uh, Jesse would think of an idea in the morning. I go home for my soup and sandwich and um, I get a phone call about three o'clock in the afternoon from Jim. He said, what, what do you think of that thing Jesse's, uh, Jesse suggested this morning? And I say, why? He said, because I've done it. <laughs> and that's the difference that, that energy makes hmm. in the whole thing. Okay. And um, I wanna, what I want to... I mean, obviously, there's so much in there, and I want to throw some to questions. But in terms of that, well, in terms of the whole lot, is there anything else? I'm going to come down all of you. Is there anything else that you'd want to say? Or how did it... I, I kind of want to know how it felt. What What were the challenging... What went well and what was challenging? Carol, you must have something to share on that. Um, yes, I do. Um, I would say I uh, I actually... Uh, retired, as it were, um, at the end of 2016, so 14 months before T Toby did, um, w which was a sort of, what it meant was that I withdrew from staff meetings and all that sort of stuff. Inevitably, I think, if you're alongside somebody in a senior pastoral role, um, you are still doing a lot of, a lot of stuff. So I did that. Um, you know, one of the things I think about this is... Um, I was reminded when I was thinking about it of the five-step prayer model, where if you remember at the end, it says, when do you stop praying? You know, when the person you're praying for indicates that it's finished, uh, when the Holy Spirit doesn't say anything more to you, or when you've got nothing left to say. And um, I, honestly, I had nothing left. I really didn't. And it, uh, And so for me... The reason I left when I did was I left um, before the whole thing went, you know, upended. Um, I was I was really tired, and I I had run had run out of the things which to, are essential 
to being a senior pastor, so a great deal of grace and compassion and patience. Um, yeah, so I think what I would say is you really need to know yourself. You, uh, and I, I, I'm sorry if that sounds self-righteous, but you really need to know what your limitations are. As Clint Eastwood would say, a, a man or a woman's got to know his limitations. You do have to know. It's good, isn't it? You do have to know your limitations. And I also think that, you know, if your whole life, with great respect, if your whole life is tied up in your ministry, there's something awry. That's what I personally feel. I understand that there will be people who disagree. Um, but if the idea of no longer being a senior pastor, of no longer being in leadership, because as Nigel quite rightly said at the beginning, you're, you never stop being in ministry, um, and that doesn't just apply to leaders, does it? It applies to all of us. Um, then I think you're in a bit of trouble, to be honest. There is more to life. And I'm always reminded of the, the saying, which was sent to us by our previous senior pastor, Rick Williams, uh, um, who sent us the Irenaeus quote, which I'm sure many of you will be familiar with. The glory of God is a human being. It actually says man, but let's be PC. A human being fully alive. And uh, Toby and I differ on this. His, you know, his, uh, I'll leave him to say, but his fully alive was ministry. It wasn't mine. That's it. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I've heard a lot of people criticize pastors who uh, answer the question, how are you, in terms of how the church is. So, no, no, how are you? Well, I, I don't think if you're doing it properly, you should be able to spot the join very easily. Because I think you do have, if you're not if your whole life isn't poured into it. Um, I'm not actually disagreeing with Carol, but I say if you're not, if you're not, if you aren't, if you're, if you're called to it and you're not pouring your whole self into it, you put your whole self in and then when you come to retire, you take your whole self out, except that you don't really. Well, I, the best analogy I've come across was prophetically given by our youngest daughter who said, uh, Dad, it's like the apricot tree in the garden. The apricot tree um, in our garden got blown in half in a storm. Just the, the trunk was snapped off. And uh, Rachel and I walked around it. That's my daughter, Rachel. Uh, walked around it several times looking for a place to make the perfect cut in the trunk as upright as possible. And then around it and around it again, trimming it off until it looked something like a tree again, uh, only half the size of what it had been. And the following spring, it was covered in blossom, absolutely covered. And she said, that's what's happened to you. The top half of your life has been blown off. And so don't expect it to be comfortable, but make a clean cut and then prune the rest of your life until it looks like a tree again. And I, I found that enormously helpful. It is a loss. It is a massive wrench. And I think it, I think it ought to be. I mean, for goodness sake, don't continue in ministry until you're glad to let, let it go. That's very powerful. Thank you. What would you guys add into the mix here? How did it feel? What were the, yeah, I mean, what were the easy parts? What were the... I'm sure there aren't any easy parts. What went well and what was challenging? Thank you. So I think um, 
in terms of the what I'd like to add and, and stuff that went well, a couple of a couple of really important points, um, important to me that I'd love to offer in case they're valuable to you. Relationship was was absolutely core. Um, this wasn't a process, or a, I mean, we were interviewed by the trustees, but it wasn't it wasn't a kind of get on the conveyor belt or, or tick boxes process for us. It was one of relationship. We we adore these guys. We loved being part of their church as students. We loved our continuing friendship. In fact, growing friendship after we graduated and um, and meeting up and coming up to visit sometimes and hang out in St Andrews and we. We therefore received the phone call and the whole idea of would we be successors in the context of a friendship and a relationship, both with the church that we missed and loved and would come back and visit. And they'd make us stand up as returning students so people would turn around and ogle us, um, which I think was purely for their amusement. Um, <laughs> without that relationship, this would have been a completely different process. So for us, that was that made it uh, an easy or a feeling successful project to get started on and then I think made it work. That's first. Secondly, um, to honour our friend Jesse there, he's been the hinge in this whole transition of leadership, absolutely. Um, Jesse's faithful service to the church under Toby and Carol w was brilliant. Jesse's faithful service of the church under Rachel and I is excellent. Jesse's facilitating that change by being a, an institutional memory for each like hang on what do we do in this situation what does kingdom vineyard have we done this before jesse's helping me get up to speed jesse's carrying through thing i cannot heap praise highly enough on jesse personally and cannot recommend the idea of a hinge person powerfully enough to you um so an honor to these guys a, a real more honor than I can say in these short minutes to Jesse. Um, and also, in the moment of transition, we had a lovely service um, where um, we it was our commissioning service, and these guys called it their decommissioning service, like a rusty old battleship, I think was Toby's <laughs> analogy. And, uh, and that was a really lovely moment that marked the succession so that we were able to look back on it and say, okay, that was the moment. And um, Taryn, thank you for, for being here. Taryn and Chuck, um, who lead our Scotland area, came and, and led and spoken to that and led us in. It was almost like a marriage vows moment. Um, kind of, do you promise to you know, not break the church? We'll try. Do you promise to stuff off? Yes. Um, and, <laughs> and it was wonderful and so, so powerful to have that marked moment that helped us. And then, um, in terms of, we haven't talked much about what happened afterwards, but um, well, these, these guys said, we're, we're clearing off for six months um, and just not going to show up at church, which was really honoring. Um, that allowed us freedom to, to be the leaders without there being someone over our shoulders who was obviously better at it than we were. And then um, at the end of that six months, we had a conversation with these guys who said, actually, we've thought about it and prayed about it. Sorry, I'm speaking for you here, but if you don't mind, I'll quickly. Um, we thought about it and prayed about it. We'd, we'd love to come back if you'd have us. And we thought they're asking us permission to come back. How lovely. And yet that allowed us to be able to say, and you, they really meant it, if we'd felt uncomfortable and it wouldn't have been right to say, sorry, but we need a bit more time. We need to, to be the leaders for a bit longer. As it happened, we said, no, we're, we're comfortable. We'd love to have you back. They tried to sit on the back row that first Sunday and we dragged them to the front with us. Um, it, it meant that... They had honoured our new senior pastorship 
and at the same time, we were able to honor them as the celebrated, um, returning from their break, valued members of the community and pastors emeritus. And um, that was made possible by the attitude these guys carried of, if anyone approached them to ask their opinion, what do you think the new guys are like? They would say, well, we're following them. I'd follow them if I were you. Cut out the middleman, it'll save you some time. Just so empowering to us. So we, I think, felt like we hit the ground running because of all of these humble, honoring, genuinely releasing moves by the pivot that was Jesse and by the, the, the blessing and the marking of the moment. Um, that's what I'd add, would you? Um, I think in terms of how it felt, just for me personally, given that I went from cheering Jim on in his calling, have a lovely time, I'll be right here with you, to then having the realization yeah. kind of at the same time as taking on the church that I was taking on the church, it was terrifying. Like I was, I was just really scared. I was, I think... 28 at the time so felt very young I hadn't had just thought how on earth can I deal with how can I help people who have got real grown-up big problems <laughs> um and I'm terrified of a microphone I don't want to go anywhere near one and so I think with that being my context the things that were the most helpful helpful for me were the, those sheets of words and pictures that we had. So the and um, those words and pictures weren't just about Jim's calling. When we actually went and read through them with the lens of might this be for me as well, it was very clear that they were. So on the one hand, I could think this is really terrifying, but then could also read all of those words and pictures again and again and again and realize no, God is calling me to do this. And and if he's calling me to do it, he'll equip me to do it. So I'll just plow on the best I can. Um, and the second thing was that um, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but Toby and Carol were just fiercely encouraging of us <laughs> and of me in my not knowing what to do. Um, I think they pushed me towards things in a way that was very gentle, but deliberate. So they were gentle in what they were asking me to do, but they were aggressive in their encouragement of it. Um, <laughs> I think like we don't, we don't lead the church to make them proud of us, but it really, really, really helps us to know that they are proud of what we're doing. And so I would say, yeah, the two things that are the greatest help to me are confirmation that this is God's call on our life and um, continuous, constant, aggressive championing from um, Toby and Carol, who are always there for us. They cook us roast dinners on a Sunday after church when we're shattered. They will listen to any kind of highs and lows that we throw at them. And um, yeah, they're just, they're our biggest cheerleaders and we're super grateful to still have them in our church. Yeah, just just on the on the sort of nuts and bolts of how that that worked um, after the transition, um, we met the four of us met uh, quite frequently, uh, what once a month or something like that, um, and we agreed that we were going to pastor each other, but questions about the church were off the table. We were not not going anywhere near discussing anything churchy for the first however long, however. Was, was that the six months or? Yes, over dinner. Although one thing that these guys did in the six months that they stepped away was to say no one in church 
has our phone number and no one may call us. But if you come into a, uh, if we, that is, come into a question, we're allowed to pick their brains. And we found that, that route of help very, very assuring and helpful. But in the, the meeting up and hanging out, that was, how are you doing? Not the church, how are you doing? So that was good. Oh, yeah. Um, the other thing that was immensely helpful was um, our region, the Scotland region, which when we when we when we took over was a lot smaller than it is now, and um, they just really welcomed us like family. Again, shout out to Chuck and Taryn; they were really fantastic. We just instantly felt like part of the family, and um, again, for me personally, not being sure what my role was going to be or starting to realise what my role was going to be. Um, all of those pastors from the other Scottish Vineyard churches prayed and prophesied over me um, and over us and um, were so key to contributing to that list of words and pictures that we now hold so dearly. So the kind of wider regional family and their welcome was also really, really great for us. I mean, it's incredible, isn't it? Listening to this story, I'm just a bit blown away. You've got um, the, a load of different elements going on. You've got very clear calling on your on your account from lots of different sources. You've got very intentional planning with the Lord as best you could um, from from your side. You've got um, a, a, a sensible transition plan. You know, including the finances, which is really important, um, so that you're able to facilitate. Because one of the things that I think churches, um, no, I don't think I know some churches that looking for a new pastor will expect that that person will arrive fully formed i mean none of us arrive fully formed but but you know i, I mean I, I think having the space to grow into the job and to really realize what it entails um, is amazing to have the vineyard connections and the the support all around and in this case you've got the support from you'll retire. I mean, some people retire and move away, and that's what the Lord's called them to, and other people retire and stay. Um, and obviously what you've got and what you've demonstrated to us, and even just in the way you've spoken this afternoon, is that this the relationship that you have, and, and, and there's a real mothering and fathering thing going on here from you to, to you guys. Um, it's obviously who you are naturally, and you've got a lot of students, and so, you know, this is just a sort of an extension of what you do naturally in, in, where, in where you are and what God's called you to and what God's called the church to be. Um, and all of these elements going on means that this is wonderful. What a wonderful story. We have a, just a few minutes. If you have a question that you're burning to ask about any aspects of this, shout. Go, Neil. Um, you say the question and I'll repeat it. Okay, so you haven't said anything about um, whether differences in personality or style or, or vision or anything like that was considered to be significant. I'd just be interested to know okay. how you... So how did how did you an issue or it was just like no you're the right people so you know so how did you navigate any particular um, differences in style vision um, I think one of the things that Jim and Rachel did brilliantly and intentionally was not to uh, initiate any change whatsoever for. A, a good, at least a year, probably, and and the changes then were um, were small, and you know it was a it was a build up. Um, um, I yeah, I don't know. That's it, really. I mean, from from my perspective, I I just think that they didn't rush, and I think that was wise because I think um, 
you know, given our church is a bit unusual because every four years, 60, 70 percent of it, that, that much, changes all the time. So it's not as it is for a lot of people who are in a lot of other churches. So that was very important, I think. Anything you want to add to that? Great. Um, what that was very kind of you to say. I think the um, the decision we took uh, for our first Sunday, our transition handover succession service was February 18th, 2018. So February 25th, the following Sunday, uh, I preached our kind of, so who the heck are we then preach, um, which we called more of the same. And the idea was, actually, we love the values of this church. We love the culture of this church. We don't it's not that we're biding our time before making the big changes. We we don't see the need to handbrake turn anything here. This is good. What we can offer is more in terms of energy, maybe. Um, and we we prayed for more capacity, more of a heart for prayer, capacity as in staff team. And God's been really kind on that. We've gone from a staff team of, of what, maybe two and a half at the time to I think there's 10 of us here um, this week, four years later. So we prayed for capacity, for a heart for prayer, for... Um, mutual pouring into and investing of the student and resident communities and for more of a heart for outreach. But none of those were changes. They were just more. To, to use a ship analogy, we didn't want to turn it fast because everyone would fall off the deck. We didn't want to turn it much at all, but we did want to push the throttle. So we didn't really have a, any sort of need for a vision change. But what we did have was a desire to say, well, I reckon we've got something really good here. If we if we lean into this a bit, I wonder what will happen. And so I don't know if, um, if that was something that these guys saw in us of they think like we do about how this church should run. Um, but in reality, I think we did. And we, we liked it enough as a vision and as a culture that we could plug in and run. And to me, I think that's one of the reasons why the discernment process was quite easy for you because i mean so we've got different stages in, in this thing but the discernment process one of the things that steve nicholson said that we wrote down and put in the front of that book is you know even if the personality you're not you're not going to be the same person obviously you're going to have different gifts in a different style but the values need to remain consistent we've seen problems where leaders have come in with completely different values that's why we're making such a big deal out of this whole succession conversation, because um, what we're trying to do is, uh, as a whole movement, as a whole family, make sure that we're training and equipping and connecting enough people. Um, so, Because we know that there are wonderful people out there who, who God will call to lead our churches, and he can call someone to step up and do it in, in months. But we do know that it takes time to grow and to make sure values are, you know, are aligning, and that's what... Went on here. Well, you, you had somebody else had a question? Yeah. My question was similar. It was about the vision thing, but um, and you kind of answered that. But it, it's just made me sort of think that you know if you if you're so if, if you're um, sorry, I'm just just going to do a little bit of external processing, which I shouldn't really do. But it's only because of its response to what you were saying. It's like you guys saw in these guys in these things that um, you know you you were going to add the energy and you're going to was just thinking my mind going in terms of well what if you had different visions and what if you had a, a really clear vision but i suppose that's where church planting would come in really rather than succession do, do you see what i mean I, I, it's a good question yeah i mean i think I th yeah we we work quite hard on setting the 
the values in the early years of the church. And after a while, we discovered we didn't have to push it so hard because people were just catching it because there was a corpus of people all moving in the same direction. Uh, and people just asking themselves, do I want to be part of this? And that's much more of the sort of young person's view rather than... Sorry, not caught, not taught. Yeah, as Wimby used to say, the best things in the kingdom are caught, not taught. And and they just wanted to be part of this thing. And uh, they picked up the values quite naturally. And so we, we didn't have any great doubt. We knew that these two carried the values that, that we put in them. So we weren't that bothered if, if they got some great vision for how to implement those values in the future, then go for it, go large. The... Um, one thing I've noticed is that it's the great uh, vineyard word, uh, demeanor, um, identify, recruit, train, deploy, honest and nurture, release, is often taught without the final R. And release is really important. And that's, that's where we are with these guys. We've released them now. But you're, you're, what you were talking, what you were saying also speaks to a, a bigger conversation around us as a movement, as a family, identifying and training church planters, which is really important. That's who, that's who we've been for a long time. And actually what we started to notice was that some people were coming forward and saying, I think I might be called to church planting. And then we have a really fantastic um, discernment tool. We've got a number of tools and processes that we... Uh, and, and as that's developed, we were realising that we were talking to people about church planting, saying, I oh, actually your natural skills and gifting possibly lead you more towards succession than planting. That's certainly my story. You, you know, I said to God, if you really want me to plant a church, I'll have a go. <laughs> like, but it'll be obedience, not not my own skills. I just don't think I'm good at that. Do, do you know what I mean? And so what we're trying, what we're doing, what we're working on, which is some of the stuff in this booklet, is, um, uh, is, um, just identifying and trying to sort of separate those parts, join and separate those pathways. So when people come through, so that we've got a whole track of people like Jim and Rachel who are like, I think God might be calling me to something. And then we're looking at how we can place people. And, you know, when we're, oh, I said all that already. Can I just one brief footnote to that question, which was, I think it would have been a completely different process had there been a, a question of who will the successors be? Let's put out a job advert and, uh, and interview people than if it had been, we have an existing relationship. We were appointed from within in cultural terms, even if physically we were elsewhere. And and some of the things that we'd said about the church that we were at elsewhere were like, ah, oh, this is not quite how we would do it. We quite like how Kingdom Vineyard does this. So there was enough existing relationship and existing cultural value stuff that I think from our point of view we didn't have any expectation that we would come in and, and go off in a different direction and I think that you knew that through relationship rather than it being a job interview question. It's about half. It's about half of them in the next ten years. Exactly. And so we really need to get this this right. But we also we, we're quite good at calling people out for church planting, and I think that that's a different thing because that's when you have your own vision. But where are we calling out? I know that it's our jobs as senior pastors to call out within our own church, but that's that's not always how it works. 
and where are we calling people out to succession? Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Do you understand? Yeah, yeah. It, it might be that you, you, you go into succession into a, a different church. It might be mm. that you've had your roots together. You, you came from Stafford mm. back to St Andrews. But what if, you know, where, where, I don't know. Sorry. It's, just it's fine. No, yeah. How are we matching people up? How are we... Let me reassure you, that's my task for this year. Here, <laughs> here. But you're not the first person to ask the questions. They're great questions, and you're absolutely right. And that's what's on the heart of God for us as a movement, actually. Um, I just want, has anyone else got a question? Um, Alison, go for it. Go for it. That's a great question. decompressing to be very very important and that meant um it's like you know i don't know if you ever cook with a pressure cooker when you take the top off all things float to the top um that were uh, at the bottom and uh, i found that emotional things both positive and negative probably slightly more negative than positive would float to the top things that i hadn't had time to process when i was pastoring and I had to just sit before the Lord with them. And I know that sounds very touchy-feely, which is not really me, but um, that's what I had to do, just sit with them, not judge them, accept them, uh, and allow God to do what he wanted to do with them. That was terribly, terribly important for me. Could you repeat your first question, Alison, please? Yes. <laughs> That's very interesting because um, we had different reactions. As, as you may have gathered, Toby and I have different reactions about absolutely everything. No, <laughs> and uh, for me, I'd had the kind of a very peripatetic childhood. I'd moved around a great deal. So my expectation when the job was done was that we'd go. That, I mean, I hadn't voiced that. I hadn't, you know, it, uh, but so I thought, all right, we're done. Okay, where should we go? Do you want to go to Edinburgh? Should we go to Edinburgh? Maybe we'll move to Melton. And Neil and Dylan would love that, wouldn't you, Neil? <laughs> and, uh, you know, any, any number of things like that. And Toby said, can we just enjoy being here for a bit? I thought, oh, yeah, all right then. <laughs> so there was, there was that, um, that I hadn't really thought about it. I just sort of vaguely expected in the back of my mind, job done, off we go. Well, so is he. I would say, where on earth can you go to church if you've planted a church the way you want church to be? I mean, why would you want to go anywhere else? It's insane. 
It is. It is insane. What I would say, though, is that the responsibility of the retiring senior pastor is to be very hands-off. I mean, you, 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 know, you have to release. You have to release. And it was, uh, it was a point which um, Chuck and Taryn graciously and directly made when w w at, at Rachel and uh, Jim's commissioning service, which is, do you promise not to meddle? Yeah. I mean, they didn't put it quite that crudely, I don't think. Um, <laughs> but that was it. And so you can stay so long as you're not breathing down their necks. And if your opinion is sought, you give it. If it isn't, you don't. Because otherwise, what has happened, and, well, yeah, and what has happened in the past, and I know this because it's been expressed to us, is that people have, you know, previous senior pastors have been asked to leave the churches that they've planted. And I, I don't know why. There could be any number of good or bad reasons for that. But if that happens to the retiring senior pastors, it's your fault, I'm afraid. Oh, I had something else. It's gone. Let, let me, while you're thinking, yeah. I, the the other thing was, was just how do you posture yourself for the fact you might have to go, and I think the um, that comes to me to something that God spoke to me through long before we were on the church planting track at all, uh, which was at. Uh, Winston Churchill's house, Chartwell, in Kent, wherever it is. Uh, there's a, there's a, a couple of um, uh, telegrams up on the wall. One's, from, one's signed W, which is from Winston Churchill, and it's addressed to Field Marshal Montgomery, uh, somewhere south of El Alamein, uh, Africa. And, uh, and it says, first and only um, priority, destroy Rommel and Africa Corps. And the next one comes back a few, uh, signed W, and the next one, signed M from Monty, uh, comes back a few months later. Rommel and Africa Corps destroyed, await orders. And uh, I saw that, and I got all teary-eyed, and the custodian in the room said, don't worry, that affects a lot of guys that way. And when it came to the point that we, we were handing on the church to these guys, I felt... Uh, you know, what did God call you to do? Plant a church in St Andrews. So your posture now is church in St Andrews planted, await orders. And I'm going to call time there because we've gone over. Um, if you have other questions, feel free to come and have a chat. Um, can I invite you to just thank these wonderful, four wonderful people for sharing? Very grateful. Hugely grateful to you guys for all the sharing you've done this afternoon and for opening up this conversation. Um, take the books away if you like. If you have any questions, come and chat. Thanks very much. Enjoy the rest of the conference.